0: us pray father we are standing in awe of you we rise to our feet in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ who has become our Savior and our life our righteousness our hope our joy and Lord we thank you for welcoming us into your presence today As if there were anywhere that you were not, (laughs) Lord, you are everywhere, but you welcome us today into your presence and anoint us with the oil of gladness. And we confess, Lord, we were homeless until we found our home in you, until we discovered that uh, from generation to generation, you have been our resting place, our eternal home, we were friendless until you befriended us isolated in our loneliness Lord Lord we were hungry until you fed us the bread of life and we would have been forever thirsty unless you had drawn deep from the well of your love and given us the water of life so that we might thirst no more so that our cup overflows what a bountiful host you are. You have invited us to your banqueting table. Your banner over us is love. And today, Lord, we thank you for welcoming us and for telling us to bring our friends with us. And Lord, we come to you grateful today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Brother Jeremiah said, We always treat guests as angels, just in case. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 tells us we may, as we show hospitality to others, be entertaining angels. There are certainly biblical examples of that. I've lived long enough as a pastor to have seen the people who have welcome engraved on their souls. They meet people with amazing, overflowing love, and you see it in their eyes, and I love those people. We, If we can find them and recruit them, put them as greeters and ushers in the church, because they should be doing that work. It comes naturally to them. I love the story of the little girl who was trying to get her four-year-old little brother to be quiet in church, Angie said to Joel, you you must be quiet. He said, who's going to make me? And she pointed it to the two guys at the back of the church in the suits. And he said, well, who are they? And she said, they are the hushers. They will make you hush. Well, I love the greeters and the ushers and those who have that gift. But can I tell you this morning, no matter how well they work, we can undo all of their good by not welcoming others where we sit and when we encounter people on the way to our seats. Singer John Charles Thomas, at age 66, wrote to uh, Abigail Van Buren. He said, I'm presently completing the second year of a three-year tour of the churches in our country. To date, I've been to 195 looking for hospitality, and in those 195 churches, only one person... Besides, a greeter has said a single word to me, and that person said, would you please move your feet so I can pass by. I'm hoping that he didn't come here and experience that in this place. In Nowen's words, how do we turn hostility into hospitality? The church in Jerusalem gives us a clinic in how to love people. How to welcome how to express hospitality, would you open your Bibles with me to acts chapter two i 'm going to read verses forty two through forty seven we 've been studying these verses for some weeks we 've seen that the church was a praying church, and we are asking God to make us a praying church and they were a teaching church the apostles teaching was foremost on their minds, and they were a fellowshipping church they shared their lives together. They were an expectant church. They lived with expectation because God was birthing something new in them. Today, I want us to see what it means to be a welcoming church. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. Acts 2, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with, With awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You may be seated. What an amazingly loving church the church in Jerusalem was. It's just almost unfathomable how they Loved and how they cared for each other and opened their homes to each other. And I read this passage again for the millionth time, it seems, in my life. I've always been a student of the church, trying to know how the church can be more of what God wants it to be. And I think for the first time, I came to understand those words that say they had favor with all the people. That word favor is the word grace. I know how we get grace from God. How do we get grace from people? How do we get into their good graces, as we say? Well, take a look at this church and see that they were generous to a fault, that they gave to each other, that they were glad to break bread together in their homes. They were anointed with the oil of gladness. Notice that they were genuine. They ate with sincere hearts, no hypocrisy, no game playing, no mask wearing. They were real. They were authentic, and their genuineness gave them a contagious love with the people who had been the very people who had crucified Jesus. It's amazing to read, and I want us to get into that mindset of being a church that finds favor in the community by being generous and glad and genuine. And dare I say, what we do outside the doors of the church will have more to do with what happens in here at decision time than what we do inside the church for this hour. In fact, it's the way we interface with the community that tells the community who Tallowood really is. And I want us to show them the grace that God has shown to us to extend hospitality to them, to understand in in a time when it's easy to get caught up in culture wars. And to find and focus on those people who are hostile to what we believe. As you enter into any sort of culture war, whatever that means, be careful not to take a posture that would keep you from transforming the hostility of others into the hospitality of Christ. And be aware that our guide is not Machiavelli's The Prince not us. We're more interested in the Prince of Peace than we are in the Prince. We don't say might makes right. We're not about, um, we're not about solving the world's problems through the world's methods. So dare I say this morning, the primary issue for the church as it engages a culture that is sometimes hostile to our faith, the primary answer is not political because the primary problem is not political it is spiritual to the core otherwise why did Paul say our battle I think he was talking about us don't you our battle is not with flesh and blood We're not fighting people. We're fighting authorities and powers and principalities and forces of evil in high places. And in truth, you and I have been called because we have experienced the hospitality of Christ to express that hospitality to other people. You see it, for instance, in the way they experienced hospitality. In verses 36 and 37 of chapter 2, when Peter is preaching. Now here's hospitality. Isn't this the same guy who denied Jesus three times? How does he get back into the community? They know what he's done, but they also have sinned, and so they welcome him back into the community. This is the same community, by the way, that welcomes Paul, who ravaged the church after he becomes a Christian. Doesn't Ananias up in Damascus put an arm around him? Didn't Stephen pray, Father, forgive him? Didn't Didn't Barnabas put an arm around him? They understand hospitality because they've received hospitality. Verses 36 and 37, when Peter is preaching to the crowd that crucified Jesus, he says to them, God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they say, I'll translate it, I'll paraphrase it from the Greek for you. They say, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. You mean we've been waiting for generations and centuries for a Messiah to come and he finally came and we handed him over to our religious leaders and the Roman soldiers and they crucified him? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. We are in a lot of trouble. And you see what they say? What shall we do? And they are not blowing smoke. They want to know. How do we get out of the mess we're in? And he says, here's the good news. Repent in the name of Jesus. Be baptized. Follow Christ with your life and you will find forgiveness of sins. You will become children of God. No wonder 3,000 of them were baptized that day. They knew where they had been. And if God was giving them an open door of grace, they were not going to miss it. Now do you understand why they were able to give grace to other people? This God-graced people gave grace freely. They had experienced hospitality. They expressed it. I sometimes go back to my childhood days growing up in, in Germany. I go to Rudy Lechner's restaurant down here. I'm not you know uh, advertising for him but he has good schnitzel not the best in town but but some good schnitzel and I go there and eat schnitzel and spetzle with a good friend of mine who is from Germany and we sit and we talk about life and and my friend says to me the greatest the greatest possibility the church has is the possibility of prayer the greatest tool we have to change the world is prayer and the second greatest tool is love and just unsolicited we were just sitting there eating on friday and he said you give me enough time with somebody who hates and with god's help i can transform that hatred to love through humility by showing them the love of christ they will they will move from hostility here it is to hospitality he didn't know what i was preaching on today he was just talking And for some of us who have experienced maybe some hostility this week or maybe we felt some hostility this week, this comes as a great word of grace that if God offers hospitality to us and says, welcome to my family and and invites us to his banqueting table and his banner over us is love, then you and I can love and welcome as well. We can forgive and care and minister to those who maybe don't even want us to minister to them love will win if we have enough time the love of Christ will win how do we know that because it won in us that's how we know that and once we've experienced this love we begin to express it to others how do they do it they they really have a long history of hospitality. Have you thought of this that go back to Genesis chapter 18 and Abraham and Sarah and the three visitors come and they say Abraham runs in the tent and says bake bake some bread and and uh, get the best goat and let's open our home, our tent to these people and they welcome them in and they really were entertaining angels. They were caring for the messengers who were sent from God. We always treat guests as angels ju- just in case. And Abraham did. In Leviticus, in the law, we, we learn in chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, that if you ever have a foreigner, a stranger in your gates, you were to treat them like a child of Israel. You were to treat them like one of your own. Because, you, because he says, you know what it's like to be a stranger in a foreign land. You used to be in Egypt, he says to these who are leaving Egypt to go to the promised land. But if that's not enough motivation for you, if living as an expat somewhere didn't get into your soul to make you understand how to welcome people who are, who are strangers in your midst, then he goes on to say, I am the Lord your God. If your experience of being uh, in isolation and loneliness doesn't make you want to welcome people, well then just try this on. I am God, God says. And that's reason enough for you to love people. It goes on, and uh, you find Job saying in chapter 31, verse 32, I never left the traveler in the street. After all Job has been through, he said, I'll tell you one thing, I took care of the strangers who visited me. We hear it in First Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Peter, who's been welcomed into community after he denied Jesus three times, said, "Exercise hospitality without grumbling." Romans chapter twelve verse thirteen. Paul, who experienced the grace that was given through uh, Stephen, through Ananias, through Barnabas, Paul says, uh, "Show hospitality." Now, listen. This is a different word. This is not just love each other. It's not just love the fellow believers. That's a different word. That's in Romans twelve twelve, but this is Romans twelve thirteen, and the word is philoxenoi. Philo love Sanoi, the stranger, the one who loves the foreigner, the one who welcomes the stranger, our God loves the the, the outsider, the outcast, God cares he he saw Hagar, the slave girl by the bush. He sees us when we're in our isolation and loneliness and he invites us to do something about the lonely people in our world. And what he says is, invite them into community, love the stranger. Now, we're more familiar with the word xenophobia. Same word, xenos, stranger phobia. We're afraid. And what about security in a world like ours? You can't let hospitality override security. Let me just, let me just reverse it for you. You can't let your desire for security overcome your ministry of hospitality and if we are welcoming people here but you and I are not welcoming this city into our homes we are missing the ministry of hospitality the first question we ought to ask our guest is not if you die tonight would you go to heaven or to hell that, that is a question but the first question we ought to be asking is what are you doing for lunch because my family and I are going here and we would love for you to be our guests we always treat guests as angels Just in case, just in case. And God invites us to express this hospitality to each other. And notice what they do in verse 44. They start giving their possessions. They sell their possessions and goods. I read about Anchor Baptist Church, a little country church this week. And uh, a wife named Pat was a member. Her husband, John, would have nothing to do with the church until the day that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And Pat asked the church to pray. And the church called an emergency business meeting because they knew John's story, that he was a, a truck driver, that he hauled logs, And that even though his prognosis was good, after the surgery, that he would not be able to recover and drive a truck at the same time. And so because he would not be able to do that, if he wasn't driving the truck, they didn't receive a check, they didn't eat that that week. And so the church called an emergency meeting and the chairman of deacons, who was also a truck driver, said, I'll give $100 a month, what will you give? And they began to say 50 and 100. And who will provide food for them? And who will pay their utility bill? And who will take care of their rent? And who will? And they took care of all those things for the whole time that John was recovering from his surgery. Anybody here wonder why John is part of that church now? They were the church to him. And just by being the church... Um, Mel Blackaby tells about going and visiting one of their visitors who, who uh, his car broke down beside the road. He had a flat tire, and they found out about it. And he and one of his deacons drove out there, and they helped him get his flat fixed. And the deacon gave him a hundred dollars and said, "Feed your family with this." And the man didn't want to take. it And said, "Why are you doing this?" And he said, "Because we're a family, and now you're part of our family. That's why I'm doing this. This is the work and the ministry of hospitality." One of my favorite preachers is Evie Hill. Evie Hill, who's gone to be with the Lord now, pastor out in Los Angeles. He had a sign out in front of his church. You know what it said? Three words, conservative, liberal, militant. People, people drove up just to find out what the sign was about. And he said, well, let me tell you what it's about. Conservative means we believe every verse of the Bible. We believe every verse. We're conservative. Liberal means we'll give you the shirt off our backs if that's what you need. Militant means we're not waiting for the devil to bring the battle to us. We are storming and assaulting the gates of hell. We are conservative, liberal, and militant. I'm not suggesting we get such a sign. Though I think it would be very interesting in this community. (laughs) I'm not asking us to put up a sign. I'm asking you to be the sign. Believe every verse, (laughs) Conservative. Don't you want to be liberal, sharing love with people, sharing of the resources God has given to you? And why not be militant? Why wait for the battle to come to us? Some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission, a yard from the gates of hell. This is our work. This is the ministry of hospitality that God has given to us. I think of the first time I ever came to Houston, Texas. It was for the burial of my friend Loy Brown. Loy, who gave me Alfred's Greek Testament, four-volume series that's in my office on the bookshelf that I use to translate the Greek to preach these sermons, she didn't even have an occasion to give it to me. She just blindsided me one day with grace, said, I bought these for you. Why? I just wanted you to have them. My friend down the road at Cedar Springs Baptist Church, a little country church, um, she rode in his car one day, and he didn't have a cassette player, and so she When they got back to her house, she said, wait here, and she went in and gave him a brand new cassette player and radio, and he didn't want to take it, and she scolded me so that I would scold him and said, he doesn't know how to receive gifts. You need to talk to him about that. (laughs) Yes, ma'am, I will. And then she had uh, cancer, and we read Psalm 27, verse 14 together, and she had surgery, and she did not survive, and I came down to Houston for her burial when I was a teenage pastor. But I remember Loy, and I wonder sometimes why I'm not more like Loy, why I sometimes struggle with generosity. How is it that I have more than I have ever had, and sometimes I keep score in what I give? How is that? I had to confess it to the Lord this week and just say I don't know Lord this is just a part of me that still needs to be converted you've got to transform me I don't know when I started keeping score but God give me a spirit of generosity that just loves to give the way that you give God give us a hospitality a a love for people like you have Lord because we live in this wonderful international city and we have 25 different nationalities represented in our congregation but Lord I'm not satisfied with that I want us to open Open our hearts because there's an old Italian proverb that says, when the heart has room, the home will have room. And now we have a home that has room, but we need hearts that have room. And they invited people into their homes and they broke bread with them because the home is the place of hospitality and because there were people in the first century, if you can believe it, who were hungry and there are people in the 21st century. 3.1 million I read this week in Texas 3.1 3.1 million people in Texas are food insecure. That doesn't mean they're insecure about what they eat. It means that they're not sure where their food is coming from. 900,000 are hungry. 10% of those are children The statistics are are sort of mind-boggling. I looked at them this week. I'll just share a few of them with you. Almost one of every six Texans lives in poverty. Ten of the nation's 30 poorest counties are in our state. One in ten Texas children under the age of 12 is hungry. Almost one-third of Texas children are hungry or at risk of hunger. And the vast majority of them are from working families. More than 80% of the poor families in te- Texas have children. 60% of those have jobs. They just don't have enough money after they work to feed the children. And I wondered what we're going to do about that. But it doesn't stop there. There are thirty-six million one in 10 in our country. There are 1.4 billion in our world who live on $1.25 a day. I never thought of that. I was walking through our game room this week and I noticed on our coffee table there were $2 there. I didn't even bother to pick them up. I sort of assume all money in the house is mine because I either left it there or I gave it to somebody who left it there, but it's all mine. But I don't even slow down to pick up $2, but half of our world lives on that amount per day. I just sort of was um, just undone when i read that this week and then i realized it's in your worship guide that little brochure for texas baptists and the mary hill davis offering that that what we want to do is we want to ask every texas baptist that's a hundred that's a million and a half of us in this state to skip one meal a month at 10 bucks if we did that this unbelievable we would have 18 million dollars to feed people isn't that unbelievable You say, well, all a million and a half aren't, we don't even know where all a million and a half are. They're not all going to, okay, half of that and then half as much money and you still it's something 38 million or something like that. I just, I just have to say to you, we have to do something. We have to care for people who are hungry because God has fed us the bread of life. We cannot afford not to care about people who are hungry it was on a, a thanksgiving some years ago we went and visited a, a guest of our church and we walked into her home on a thursday night one of our deacons was with us we walked into her home the the week it was probably the monday before thanksgiving and she didn't have any furniture in her home she just had a bed roll that was pushed up against the wall and she had prepared a little meal of cucumbers and tomatoes for us and we ate it on the little ledge of the windowsill between the dining room and the kitchen and she said, would you like something to drink? I only have water, she said. And I thought, how on earth, a mile south of my house, do people live with nothing while it seems like I have everything? And I was challenged when I read this week, no wonder they, no wonder they didn't have enough room for all the people. Can I just tell you something? This church didn't have a building. They didn't have a budget. They didn't have a program. They didn't have a choir. They didn't have anything that we have. They said, silver and gold have I none. They didn't have any money. But they did, after all, have God. And they changed the world. And I wonder if sometimes all that we have doesn't sometimes stand in our way. All you need to succeed is to find the need. And when you find the need, fill the need. When you find the hurt, heal the hurt. That is success or a church I read about Lenny Broton, the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist in Atlanta Georgia he decided to start a, a Baptist hospital in Atlanta years ago and he called the media and they came and they said where is it going to be he said I don't know they said do you have any land he said we don't have any land they said do you have any money he said we don't have any money he said how are you going to start a hospital what do you have he said we have sick people you have to have sick people to start a hospital we've got what we need Now God's going to provide the land and the building, and we will have a hospital, but we've already got. Can I just tell you something? TallaWood already has what we need to change this city. Greater things are still to come. Greater things are yet to be done in this city. How? What in the world does TallaWood have to offer to this city? Be careful before you start making the list. Of all the great things that God has given us. And a hundred reasons why anybody would be proud to be a member. of, Before we even start that. Can we just say the one thing we have to offer to this city. Is the one thing that this city needs. And his name is Jesus Christ. So take him with you this week. Olivia Brown became a Christian right there this morning. And Olivia Brown looked up at me and said. I just don't want to be anywhere without Jesus. That's what she said. Let me tell you something, you're not going anywhere this week without Jesus. Just be conscious of his presence because he's already there. Everywhere you go, he's already there. So when you go, give the people Jesus because he is the one thing in the world that they need. And the good news is he's the one thing that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the great goodness you have given us in Christ. Help us now, I pray, to be faithful stewards of all you have given to us by loving as Jesus loves. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.